Justice Tech Pros here. Hope everyone listening is doing as well as could be expected. Um, as far as on the uh, coronavirus front, it's hard to really gauge whether things are getting, things are improving, or th- things are declining. Uh, because, you know, every day you hear different statistics, uh, things going up, cases going up, cases going down. So it's really hard to gauge, but it just seems like there's no real dramatic difference. So, I don't know. Hopefully, as time goes on, things start to improve dramatically and we start getting back to normal. Uh, especially with school around the corner. You know, there's, uh, I know now they're doing a lot of hybrid classes and online learning as well as in person. So it's not an easy decision for parents. Everybody's got to kind of figure out what their comfort level is and do what they feel is best because uh, it's not, um, you know, it's not something that you could uh, make without having to worry in one way or another, you know, in one breath. You want your kid to attend the facility and get that social learning aspect. But in the other breath, you want to keep them safe. So, you know, it's it's hard to navigate that. So, um, anyway, I, I want to uh, also thank on the uh, YouTube subscriber end, we uh, broke 6,100. So I really appreciate that. That means that, I guess, uh, listeners are liking what's going on. Uh, they find it engaging. They find it entertaining. And hopefully they're... Uh, learning a few things and to just get in a different mindset as far as, you know, how to look at certain uh, aspects of what I discuss and trying to understand, you know, maybe they understand that there's sometimes uh, different viewpoints and everything's not so clear cut. And that's always, you know, a positive, a positive thing. If you get somebody who wasn't aware of something and you enlighten them and you show them, you know, that there's different ways of looking at the same topic, that's a win-win. So I appreciate all the subscribers on that end. And also, we're on, you know, several platforms now. Um, We're on uh, Podbean, uh, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcast. So it's good in that sense, you know, get the word out. And again, hopefully, what I envisioned trying to do back in November is taking shape a little bit and uh, gaining some traction. And my goal just is hopefully, you know, you get a few uh, listeners that may turn into jurors and some of what I said may stick in their head and they'll actually have the opportunity to give a defendant a fair shot at a, at a trial. So after all, that's all a defendant really wants. They just want a fair trial. As I always say, you know, a defendant doesn't need anybody to be on their side. They don't need the judge to be on their side. They don't need the prosecutor to be on their side which obviously they're not, but a judge especially. You don't need a judge to be on their side. You just need a judge to be fair and and listen to what's being said and not go into the case closed-minded and not go into the case trying to fulfill an agenda. You know, that's all any any person facing the system could really ask for. And that kind of leads me into what I wanted to talk about today that I was just thinking about, and it really has to do with, I touched a little bit about it in a prior episode uh, about accountability. But the more I think about it, the truth is it's a little more disturbing than just not being held accountable. You know, it really, uh, a judge, when you think about it, if you get a judge who's not fair and is not, uh, does not have going by the law at the forefront of their mindset, it's, it's, they really have something of a, a nothing to lose attitude. And they really don't. They don't really have much to lose. And what I mean by that is, 
they could go through the case. They could make the rulings based on how they see fit. If they are trying to steer a verdict in a certain direction. And there's really no repercussions for it. You know, they, they have nothing to lose. Let's even say worst case scenario. They get overruled on an appeal. What did they lose? It's not a big deal. You know, and I was reading a lot of articles on it. And there's been some judges, I was reading one, judges that had like 37, uh, I believe the judge was in Mississippi, if I'm not mistaken, and he had 37 of his rulings overturned on appeal. And it really doesn't mean anything. Nothing changes. The judge is still a judge. They still go, you know, they still go along. Uh, they're still uh, presiding over cases. And there's really no downside of it. And that's that's a problem. I mean, you would figure... If, if a judge is watched to an extent and if their cases are monitored and the decisions are monitored and you see a high overturn ratio, one would just figure that there's something to kind of prevent that from going on. But that just kind of shows if they're getting overturned at such a high rate and it doesn't mean anything, nothing's going to stop the judge or t change the judge's uh, direction on how they rule and how they approach a case. But that tells me they really don't know what they're doing. I mean, if they get overturned that that often, especially, you know, on an appeal, an overturn has to do with uh, um, the errors of law and how law was applied. So to make those many errors at, at a defendant's expense is a major issue. You know, at somebody's liberties on the line and all those errors are being made. And now a person, you know, they think, all right, well, if you win an appeal... That's a huge win, and don't get me wrong, it is. It's a tremendous win. But to get to that level, you know, it costs a lot. It costs money. It costs researches, uh, resources. A lot of time is vested. A lot of family. Uh, it's it's emotional draining on the family. It's draining on the defendant. And, and it's timely. I mean, you're still sitting in prison. So if you're in there for a lot of errors that were made or wrongful conviction and you're just waiting on your appeal... As you know, you hear a lot of horror stories of people sitting in jail 20 years before they're vindicated. I mean, it's scary when you think about it. You have to go through all of these channels just to undo an error. In the most simplistic term, it's, it's errors that are being made at somebody's expense. And I personally believe a lot of the times they're intentional errors because, again, it goes back to the judge if they have the mindset of what do I have to lose? And if the, the way a judge could look at it, if you're dealing with a judge who's not a fair judge and is not really there to preside over a case and hear the facts and rule as fair as they possibly can, and obviously common sense, one cannot be 100% fair. There's always going to be a side that thinks that, you know, maybe the judge slighted them or things weren't in their favor. But you could get it very close. I mean, if you have a reasonable judge, you could get it very close. You could tell by their decisions. You could even tell by the way they rule. And what I mean by that is I've witnessed firsthand where you have a judge and they'll hear the arguments. And I believe they're going through the motions because when they start reading, and when I say reading, they're actually reading almost like a script of their order. So now, it's obvious that if they have everything written down and they have citations of law written down, that means they had their order prepared already. So the arguments weren't really going to sway the judge one way or another because they already prepared on what they were going to issue at the time of the hearing. So 
my opinion is they're merely going through the motions to give a false impression that they're being fair. They want people to believe that they're being fair and that they're being thorough. But when they're already scripted and they come in already prepared and they have the order already written out, that tells me there's really no swaying one way or the other, regardless of what you argued, regardless of the facts that you cited as part of your argument. Um, it really doesn't matter because their decision was already predetermined and I feel they're just going through the motions to appear as if they're being fair. So that on the record, it sounds as if, you know, that the proceeding was done in a just manner. But when it's predetermined like that and scripted and already ordered, just not verbally given... To me, that just states exactly what's going on. You know, the judge had a, a certain um, mindset about which which way they were going to uh, go as far as the decision and as far as the motions that were put in and as far as the determinations that they had made based on what what is uh, they're being faced with. They already know which way they were going to go, and the arguments is just an afterthought, and they just pretty much given everybody their time to say what they want to say, but it really doesn't mean much. You know, I, I believe... Uh, the mind was already made up when you see it take place that way, you know. And you could tell the difference. If you have a judge who's sitting there and they're engaged and they're listening to the arguments and they're asking a lot of questions on both sides and they're getting clarification on both sides. And when you have judges that actually give orders uh, based on the argument that has taken place in front of them as opposed to papers that were submitted... You know, there's a big difference if they're starting to give an order or give a decision based on the debate that takes place at the present time, then you know that judge was engaged and they were paying attention to what was transpiring in front of them. But if they're reverting back to the motion papers solely, obviously you're going to you're going to revert back to that and you're going to mention that in the order, but it will be somewhat of a hybrid, you know, where you'll combine the current arguments that are taking place as well as the prior submitted motions and documentation. But when you're solely re uh, re reflecting on and, and, and mentioning and going back to the paperwork, that just shows that they're kind of pulling their notes and reviewing their already predetermined order before even stepping into that courtroom. And what they're doing now is somewhat of a charade just to go through the motions to appear that it's being fair. And it's extremely frustrating when you have to watch that, you know, even on a, a client side, on a personal side, if you're sitting back and, you know, the defendant just has to sit there and basically they start, you know, anybody could pick up on it, but you start to realize that the arguments being made at that point in time are falling on deaf ears. Because what is done is done, and you just have to wait for the outcome. And you know, it, it, when you think about it, I feel when a judge does operate in that manner, they just have it in their mind, well, what's the worst that could happen? I get overturned, so what? And it's true. I mean, so what? They really didn't suffer at all. They did everything in their power to push the verdict the way they wanted to push it, to have the outcome they wanted to have happen. So in their mind, they did the job. You know, it goes back to a term I always talk about, uh, the ends justify the means. And that's how they always feel. They feel the ends justify the means. 
and I've said it on prior podcasts uh, that unfortunately the mindset with some of these judges is even if the defendant isn't guilty of the crimes they're being charged with, they're guilty of something. You know, especially if they have some kind of label or a stigma about them or they're associated with some kind of secret society. A judge, unfortunately, will use that in their rulings. You know, they feel, well, if they may not be getting a fair trial this time around, they deserve it. That's almost, you know, their, their mindset. And, and as we all know, anybody who understands the justice system and understands law, that's not the way it's supposed to work. You know, you're supposed to be judged on the crimes you're being charged with and convicted or acquitted based on the crimes you're being charged with, which should be supported by facts and evidence against you. Not not based on what they think you may have been guilty of or what they think, whether or not in their mind you're a good person or you're not a good person. You know, that, that should all be irrelevant. But that's really not what takes place. And when you, when you realize the power that the judge has, it's disturbing in the sense that if you get a judge that is not one of one seeking justice and one seeking fair and, and one, one that is unbiased, a lot of damage could be done. And then the defendant's stuck having to pretty much go through the years or the months of all of these rulings and all of these decisions that are not in their favor. And what I mean in their favor, uh, decisions that should have been made based on facts, not based on something else. And by being based on other things, it's just going against the defendant. And then, you know, now you're, now you're dealing with a situation where you almost have to get through that period. You know, you have to get past that judge and then hopefully move on to the appellate level and get three fair judges to review all of these errors, all of these um, issues that took place, whether they're constitutional errors, whether they're uh, structural errors, and you have to support, you know, put that all together. And you have to go for the financial burden of getting attorneys now on that level. You have to. You just went through trial attorneys. Now you have to go for appeal level deter- attorneys. You have to go for all kinds of money, all kinds of time. And you have to hope now you get three fair, impartial judges to review your case. And now let's say they do get overturned. What's the downside of that? Nothing really. I mean, if the judge maybe has an ego, maybe they just don't want to get overturned. But I don't, personally, I I don't think if you're dealing with a judge that doesn't hold the, the equality of the law and to make sure that they are, you know, the Constitution dear, if they don't hold that dear, I really don't think it means much if they get overturned because they're very intelligent. They know if they're making rulings that are a gray area and are not black and white. And when it comes to the law, it should be pretty black and white, but they know if they're making rulings that are suspect. They know if they're making rulings that don't have any prior case law to support it and they're kind of doing things on a whim and they're in new territory, so they know that. So if they get overturned, I really don't think it's that much of a concern because they weren't weren't really vested in making sure they went by the law in the first place. They were more vested in making sure they got the conviction they were looking for. So as long as they got that, I feel they took caution into the wind and let the chips fall where they may. And if the defendant has the money to get an appeal attorney, 
and defendant wants to go to the next level and if the defendant winds up winning on that level, so be it. And they realize even at that, now the defendant wins, they have to go through that all over again. You know, new trial and the whole process starts all over again. So they still have an uphill battle. So when you think about it, there's not much to lose by making these decisions that are, are in that gray area and that are not black and white. They can kind of make these judgment calls. And if they have an agenda, they can make these calls to go along with their agenda without really having to worry about the consequences. Because if and when they do get overruled, the point would be mute. It won't even really affect them. Just to go back to that other you know, judge, he had, I believe, like I said, 37 to 39 overturned cases. You wouldn't really know about that unless you look into it. And it has no effect on that judge. You know, he's still presiding. He's still over cases. There was no impact. So what's the damage? What's the downside? If you're there to to be there to to almost take um, it's it appears certain judges have somewhat of a vengeance against certain defendants and they don't want them to get a fair trial. So if that's the case, what do they have to lose by making rulings and having orders done in a manner in which they could kind of steer uh, a conviction? What do they have to lose? Not much, nothing really. They really don't have much to lose. And, and that got me just looking into statistics. I was curious on the different, um, the reversal rate, the percentage of the different circuit uh, courts. And I just wanted to give the top five. And um, the number one is the Sixth Circuit, which is 87%. The 11th Circuit, which is 85 The Ninth Circuit, which is 79 The Third Circuit, which is 78 And the Second Circuit, which is 68%. And that's the one I'm most interested in, the Second Circuit, because that covers uh, New York. But I just found that interesting that, you know, the rates in which the uh, uh, convictions are overturned and the percentile as it relates to the Court of Appeals. I wanted to just read this passage, which I found interesting, uh, from a source online called PolitiFact.com. And it says, The Supreme Court hears cases from the 50 state courts and 13 federal appeals courts known as circuit courts. The cases that the Supreme Court chooses to take on are often disputed among the lower courts, complex and problematic, so there's a reasonable chance that the Supreme Court will decide that the lower court decision was wrong. In fact, the Supreme Court reversed about 70% of cases it took between 2010 and 2015. That's a high percentage of reversals, so that tells me those judges, it doesn't tell me, that's just a fact, those judges got it wrong. And... You know, that, that's concerning in the sense that all those judges are getting uh, legal and legal aspects of the case incorrect. Now, bear in mind also, this is on the, you know, Supreme Court level, uh, the statistics I was um, talking about. So that, that means, you know, you have to go from the circuit court to then the appeal court. And then if the appeal court, uh, if you don't, you know, you want to appeal that decision, it goes up to the Supreme Court. So that's kind of like what I was referring to on that level. That's if you lose on the appellate level. But it's still, it's, it's high. It's high. It's high rates just overall. And what's scary about that, you know, if you think of the chain of command, is that means that the circuit court got it wrong, the appellate court got it wrong, and then the Supreme Court had to step in and finally reverse it and get it right. And think about that. That's, that's an extreme amount of delay and time 
the defendant had to go to this, you know, unfortunately went through trial, he or she, and they lost on that level. Then they had to appeal, go in front of the appellate court, which takes time. You know, you're talking another year and a half, two years on the appellate court. Then you lose that, and then you appeal it again to try to go to the Supreme Court, and that's even if the Supreme Court will hear the case, and you have to wait. And it's it's just scary, the whole process, because if you win, that means that you were right from the beginning, but yet you had a you had to experience the injustice take place on the trial court, le- court level, then on the appellate court level, and you didn't get any... Um, vindication until it hit the Supreme Court level. And people don't realize, you know, it's again, don't misunderstand me. I'm not downplaying it. But what I'm saying is, of course, it's phenomenal to win that on the Supreme Court level. But to have to deal with that and to get to that stage is completely draining on so many levels, on levels I, I talk about, you know, emotionally, financially, personally, endless, physically, it's um, it's a scary, scary concept when you break it down and you think of the damage that could be done if those in charge are making wrong decisions and they're not applying the raw the law properly. You know, and if that happens, you're stuck in this nasty cycle where you have to keep waiting and hoping for relief and hoping that a judge will get it right. So if on the first tier uh, of having a, you know, a judge look at it, which would be the appellate level on that level, you know, you have to hope they get it right. And that's a panel of three judges. And they, they look at the arguments and they compare it to the law. And if they see if any structural constitutional errors took place, hopefully they get it right and you get relief on that level. But if you don't, then you're stuck waiting now to hope that you could get the Supreme Court to look at it. And the odds of that happening are not good. I mean, I was looking in 2014, um, the Supreme Court only looked at one case for the Second Circuit. You know, that's scary in of itself. I can only imagine how many cases are submitted. And for them to only look at one that year, I didn't look at the other dates. This one was just in the article I referenced. But that alone, only to look at one. And they overturned it. They overturned that one. So... If you look at the stats on that, it looks like, you know, 100% for 2014. But you got to look at the numbers. They only looked at one case. And they overturned that case. So imagine how long that individual had to wait to get that relief. I don't know. It just seems like the system's broken on that level. You know, if, if something is being done incorrectly on the trial end, and the judge is making rulings that go against the grain and go against the law, and that's all you want. Regardless of the citizen, regardless of the defendant, regardless of the person being faced, you just want them to go by the law. And we all may have our personal feelings. And I've said this early on in my early podcast. That's why I'm not a judge. Because I'm sure my my personal feelings would influence me. I'm sure if I have a pedophile in front of me, I'd probably throw the law book out the window. But at least I recognize that. At least I understand and I don't put, you know, I don't, not that I could be a judge, but I'm just saying I wouldn't put myself in that position to even, because I know my capabilities and I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm able to do and what I'm not. And I wouldn't be able to rule, rule fairly. And that's why somebody like me shouldn't be a judge. But a judge is supposed to, listen, to me, a judge should be of a higher caliber, caliber of integrity. 
at a higher caliber as far as being able to separate personal feelings from the law. That's why, you know, they deserve to wear the robe. That's why they deserve to be sitting so much higher up than everybody else in the courtroom. They're on a higher level. But the problem is, if they don't live up to that, that's an issue. You know, then they're not doing what they swore to do. Then they're pretty much just like every other person who does have their uh, personal feelings affect their judgments and, and affect how they react to things. You know, but at least someone like myself or a, a lot of people, they're aware of what they'd be able to judge and what they wouldn't be able to judge and how they're able to separate their feelings. That's why we wouldn't put ourselves in that position. But a judge takes on that role, swears an oath, and takes on that responsibility that they're going to go by the law. And when they don't, there's really, I don't know, there's just nothing, there's nothing there to stop them. That's the problem. Worse that happens, they get overruled. They get overturned, I mean. That's the worst that happens. And what's what's the big deal about that? You don't even hear about it, you know, a lot of the time. Again, like I said, unless you research it, you're not even going to know if a judge got overturned. You have to look these things up. You know, if you're faced with the judge, then you want to do a lot of research. You want to see how many appeals they lost and, and go from there. But if you just hear the judge's name, nobody really knows uh, anything about them. If they get overturned a lot, if they're fair, if they're not fair... Unfortunately, you don't find out until you're in the position where you're sitting in front of them or the defendant sitting in front of them or you're being judged by them. Then you know what they're all about. Then you see how they rule things, and then you see what you're dealing with. And by then, it's too late. Then you're already sucked into the system, and there's nothing to, to change that. You know, that's your fate for the time being. You have to wait for it to almost pass. You have to wait for it to ride out. You know, it's like you're stuck on a, on a bad roller coaster ride and you want to get off and you can't. You got to wait for them to stop. And there's nothing more frustrating than that, I could tell you firsthand. There's nothing more frustrating than trying to fight for somebody and there's nothing you could do about it. No matter how good the arguments are, no matter how competent the attorneys are, you, you fight, you make phenomenal arguments, and it just falls on deaf ears time and again. And it means nothing. They're going to do what they want to do. And it doesn't matter how strong, it doesn't matter how factual, and it doesn't matter how commonsensical, and it doesn't matter how much, by the law, how many law citations you give, how many examples you give. None of that means anything because a judge could do what they want to do. That's the bottom line. You could show them a 100 case law to support what you're arguing and to support your side, and it doesn't mean anything. The judge could still make a decision based on what they feel like doing, what their their gut tells them to do, and nothing could stop that. And I personally feel, some people disagree with me. A lot of people say, no, a judge doesn't want to be, you know, reversed. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't really agree with that. I think if the judge is a fair judge, yes, then I agree 100%. I think if you're dealing with a judge who cares about the Constitution and cares about the law, Yes, I agree 100%. They don't want to get overturned because they'll take that personally. They'll feel like they, they, let, they let themselves down because they have high integrity. But if you're dealing with somebody who has an agenda, I don't think they care. I think they look at it like, okay, appeal me. If I lose, I lose. I tried. I tried doing what I wanted to do. And you won. You got the, you, you know, you, I got reversed. Oh, well, on to the next case. I think there's a big separation between those two types of people. You know, you have a judge who is a true judge, does go by the book, does go by the law, does go by the Constitution, holds those things near and dear. 
And then you have a judge who's there to pretty much promote their agenda. And uh, almost like a vigilante, I guess. You know, they're trying to do things that they feel take the law into their own hands. And they have the power to do that. They literally have the power to take the law into their own hands. Until they're looked at by a higher court. If and when that day comes. And that, you know, it's a, it's a big problem in the system. I don't know what the solution is other than, you know, talking about it. Other than having the public understand how it works. And maybe they won't do the damage on the first level. You know, that's really the only way to stop it. You got to have the jurors go into that courtroom when they are sitting on a trial. And have all of these things in their mind. And they need to understand their responsibility. That if they get it wrong. They need to understand what that defendant's going to be faced with, to, faced with to eventually get it right again. They're doing a wrong that is going to take an extreme amount of effort and money and time to undo the damage that they have done based on a wrong decisions. That's why potential jurors out there or current jurors, please take your responsibility seriously and please understand the devastating effects your decision could be if you get it wrong. Just make sure you get it right. Like I touched on, that reasonable doubt is a high threshold. Make sure you meet it before you render a verdict. Make sure your conscience is 100%. Because I'll tell you, the jurors on the, on, the, on the trial I just had, they got it wrong. Boy, did they get it wrong. And why did they get it wrong? I think they were influenced. And how were they influenced? They got influenced big time by the, by the judge. That's my opinion. And and now now we're in the situation where we have to undo that, undo what was done. And it's it's a long road, and it's a trying road, and it's a hard road. But you got to keep going. And eventually, you know, if you're faced with judges that are there to support the Constitution and support the law and how it was meant to play out, you will get relief. It's a fight, but you will get relief as long as that's what you're going to be faced with. As long as you have judges who take their oath seriously and are there to uphold the law. And it does happen. It does happen. You just have to get the right set of judges. So that's it for today. Um, something exciting coming up. Actually, uh, I'm going to be, I was asked to appear on um, the Frank Morano show uh, for, for a, uh, just a conversation. He wanted to have a conversation. He's actually into the podcast, which I was humbled by, I mean, this guy's in radio, so for to him to say he was very interested in the podcast, I really greatly appreciated that. And the guy, Frank, seems like a great guy, very intelligent guy, a very engaging guy. I listened to his show. It's going to be on uh, 107.1 FM, and that's in uh, the New York area, but also he's on online at wabcradio.com. And it's going to be Wednesday. I'm going to be appearing Wednesday around 11.30 or so. But uh, I definitely suggest listening to a show. The guy's very entertaining. He has some great guests on. Again, he's an intelligent guy. His show's engaging. I find it very interesting. I like the guests he has on. I like the topics he talks about. It's the Frank Morano show. So I do recommend it. And I thank him again for even uh, reaching out for me to, to, uh, to be on. So that should be fun. That should be uh, interesting. Should be a nice dialogue. And that's it for today. Until next time. Thank you.